it also to me it kind of feels cooler to be just like a guy with a hammer going up against like the Lord of Evil, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a nice underdog feel. Scotch. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to episode 409 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam and I'm not a programmer. Ha! <laughs> 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 Got him. Ew. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is March 31th, 2023. I would like to submit a bug ticket to whoever made the fucking calendar. Every time I hit a 31, it's I'm just bullshit. like, what is this? And then there's 28 days. What? I'm a big advocate for the calendar that is that is 13 months. Have you guys seen this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I want to, I feel like we got to, we got to start preaching this message. And I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it at least once in the podcast, but it's worth mentioning again. It's 13 weeks, 13 months. Every month is four weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So every month is is 28 days, which means Sunday is always the first day of the month. Mm -hmm. Monday is always the second day, et cetera, et cetera. So you can extrapolate from the date what the week is. It's just pure chaos of like, there's no alignment to anything. Now there's one thing that happens though. Which is that there's one day left over. It just does, you know. That's free time. You know? Yeah. So that day, it's not even on the calendar. No, it doesn't exist. That's, just, that's a free day. Mm-hmm. Doesn't exist. You just, nobody can have you go to meetings. There's no appointments. That's just. Is this, just so I haven't one. seen the Purge movies, but is this the premise of the Purge <laughs> where it's the there's purge a day, day that doesn't yeah. count? And so just anything yeah. goes. And on leap years, you get two. Oh, you get two free shit. Days. Two purges. So this is actually in the book uh, Red Mars by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's a science fiction. It's like a hard sci-fi. It doesn't, like many of his books, it doesn't actually have like a story. It's just like, hey, what would it be like for people to be living on Mars? Mm-hmm. And then it's just like following it's people as they do things. Um, but one of the interesting things is that a Mars day is like 40 minutes longer than an Earth day. Hmm. And so, so the way that the Martians, the people living on Mars, treated that was they still used a 24-hour day. And they, they, their clocks just stopped moving for 40 minutes during that time. And they just, they just got like a free like chunk of time where Honestly, yes. they can just chill. Uh, and that way it's like you get extra sleep or you get extra time to do your thing. And then their clocks are kind of like synced up with Earth clocks. I mean, it know, basically it feels weird, like but. they have that daylight savings effect every day where it's like oh there's they just get free time but they couldn't be synced up with earth clocks and have an hour where time doesn't yeah i can't i can't remember the specifics of it but like the 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 end result is like having that little extra time but Mm -hmm. still trying to like keep yourself synced up with earth just meant that the you know the way that you ended up doing things was you kind of just gave yourself some some zero hours every now and then. Yeah. Like they just, they're just free hours. That it's like island time. You know, <laughs> back in slack. That would make, yeah. Just think about this from a programming perspective, because like we need timestamps and everything so we can tell, oh, yeah. you know, so, cause that would mean that if you were trying to program stuff in that, in that sort of twilight zone, you know, where time doesn't move, <laughs> then you're like, what order did things happen in? There's no way to Oh know. man, it's even worse you because, know? because now if you're talking about trying to say, when did something happen? But now you've got some people on Mars and some people on earth. And there is a light delay of oh between God. eight and 20 minutes, depending on where Earth and Mars are in relation to each other, right? And so, like, you would have to— Remember, it's variable. 
throughout the it's not it's not over a year because like they're on different periods around the sun, right? It's so, it's like eighteen months yeah. or something like that. It's, it's even like, worse yeah. now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so so what you'd have to do is like you'd have to look at the timestamp for like when it was when it was sent, but then you'd have to extrapolate that based on orbital mechanics. Are you basically saying that, you know, <laughs> while we complain about time zones being annoying, it could be worse. Oh, it's going to get worse. <laughs> it is just, I, I, yeah, it's one of those things where we're already at the point, as soon as we were distributed around the planet. The whole planet, yeah. Yeah, it was already the case that we just needed, like, basically like UTC, right, where everybody just uses one clock and one set of times and just does things at different times. It's so weird that we're like, no, work has to start at 9 a.m. Like, no matter where you are. <laughs> Like that's the thing we decided to fix, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fucking well, it's weird. bizarre too because our because nine a.m. doesn't even mean anything in relation to like, for example, when the sun comes. It up. doesn't mean because anything that happens, anywhere. That happens at different well, times. Well, if you're in like Texas, right? Which is Texas is one time zone, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's wide as shit. So if right, you're like, like a thirty minute difference yeah. between sunset on each side or something crazy. Probably, Probably at least. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be Probably huge. More. <laughs> so like, yeah. yeah so that so that yeah, the time is is no and like so the reason we all try to you know like we try to fix the time or like you know what the differences are so that people can know when things are happening and do things roughly the same time and sync up, right? But people tend to start doing things roughly in the morning and end you know sometime mm-hmm. in the early mm-hmm. evening or late afternoon or whatever and like that's just gonna be a sliding frame as you move across the planet well, whether you try sense. to chunk it out or not you know like it doesn't really this yeah. is stupid i think well i think it does make sense in one in one way which is like let's say we're talking to people in in london which we do pretty often actually mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and knowing that that they're you know they're a, a six hour difference right like i can i can say that you know if it's like 8 a.m. here, then it's like 2 p.m. over there, right? But if, which I can kind of extrapolate into like, okay, it's kind of like toward the end of their work day or whatever. Mm. If we didn't have time zones and it was all the same number, then you'd have to know what number would would be morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. I I would have to kind of like do a bit more work to reverse engineer when it's I like think, you know, this up. is a cursed just, design problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. As they call oh, yeah. I mean, it's, there's no good solution. I just think the solution that we've landed on is way more complicated than just yeah. you just everybody uses the same mm. fucking clock and you just do things whenever it makes sense. Here's the based solution. on where the sun is for you, you know? We pick a like a couple mile wide zone, okay? And then you mile just wide kind of goes north, south. I don't know how, how wide, like uh, east to west, okay? And okay. then you. And then you basically turn that into the living, the livable zone for the whole planet. Okay. Everybody's got fit in there, you know, just distributed it on this one yes. line. That way everyone's in the same time zone. Problem solved. And then the whole rest of the planet, you just don't go there. So it, let it go to wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it uh, way yeah, simpler was, than all those time zones. I mean, yeah, I saw the a visualization where someone was like, if you took all of the people on the planet and you put them into a, a spherical ball of, of meat. Meat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then it would only take up like, like what was it? It was like a it would fit in mile the time, or something. It would fit in, um, in the Central Park. Yeah, it fit in Central Park, seat. like all the human bodies, right? So now if you all imagine the human meat, taking that, gross. although like volumes, you know, versus areas are pretty tricky. So I don't know what that's happens true. once you unspool that well, down a line down the planet, if that's... There's that line city that they're, that they're building in where, I don't know. Is it Dubai or something or Dubai, somewhere? Yeah, where they got it's a lot not, of oil money. not really building it. It's, you know, it's just a thing. One of those I models. mean, but you, but I'm saying you could fit a lot of people in a line. 
You know what I mean? That's their whole point. Just That's look. true. Imagine the traffic jams in a city that is just one long lane. <laughs> like everybody, everybody who wants to go literally anywhere has to take the same road. Well, the no, there would be no roads. There can't be roads. That's the thing, right? Well, it's Should actually wait. 3D, well, yeah, the, though, because has, it's a line, but instead of spreading out in 2D width, they just keep on adding floors as you go up, you yeah. know, so. Yeah, but imagine taking the subway from one end of this thing to the other, and it's like, okay, there's 340 stops because, <laughs> you know, every single stop <laughs> is on the way. You need, you need, like, stacks of trains that, like— Go different amount, different mm-hmm, distance. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it was just, what, why? Anyways, we, we need to, all right, let's talk Sorry, about I, I, an actual. I think it'll be dope. <laughs> either, we're, either we're off track or very on track, but oh yeah, profanity warning. You know, that there's, there both has been and will be profanity in this show. Time. What is, was there some? Matter. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It would be uh, weird if there you know, wasn't because it's just part of speech speaking. It yeah. would be weird. All right. So what we want to talk about today is we want, because we've you know spent so much time kind of talking about AI and all kinds of other stuff, we're going to take a step away from that for, you know, just this week, probably. Yeah. And now this is the time zone podcast where we just complain <laughs> about time. Where we just talk about, uh, so we're going to do like savings time, <laughs> calendars, uh, appointments, clocks, you know, whatever, like 12 hours versus 24. I don't know. Anyways. Honestly, I we'll feel like about, I could complain about this for at least 400 more episodes. Be, I could write a book about, <laughs> things I, about things I hate about time and, and clocks. Yep. Uh, anyways, let's talk about Diablo 4. Yeah. How about that? So uh, to, I played it. That's yeah. The, that's the short version. I played. Well, uh, you played the the beta. Yeah, I played the which beta. Was out uh, for like a week, I think. They basically did uh, two back to back weekends okay. of uh, of beta play, and they changed which classes were available for the, the second weekend. So basically, allowing you to play um, the druid and necromancer class the second weekend, which were not available the first time. So uh, a little bit of background: Diablo Four is. The basically the, it's the follow up to what is I think at this point probably what you call like the largest kind of hack and slash RPG game that exists, which is all about fighting demons, making loot come out of their bodies, putting that loot on your body, and then fighting more demons with that. It's like the simplest power loop, but a very very satisfying thing. Uh, it's made by Blizzard, and one of the things that's always been fun about it is that kind of randomization of loot as well as uh, class specialization. So you. you Pick what you're going to be. Are you a sorcerer? Are you a necromancer? Whatever. And then you go off and basically do a bunch of demon murder, right? So it's about killing large, large amounts of enemies and, and kind of having that uh, shower of loot as well as shower of special effects, which Blizzard does very well. The difference is— Weirdly, one thing you don't do in this game, actually take a shower, even though you've been yeah. absolutely murdering grotesque things for— That's very true. —dozens of hours. Yeah. No bathing. It's yeah, kind I th- of a problem. I think you rely on the 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 flying loot to cleanse your body and your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, as you get struck by gold coins as they <laughs> pass you, yes. they wick the grime away. <laughs> and all and the magic that you're constantly casting, right? Because it's probably because you're casting magic outwards and it blows the dirt off. Yeah, it probably blood. shakes the dirt loose. Yeah, yeah, it probably does. I, I don't know where magic comes from, but I feel like it's got to start pores. It yeah, just comes in from your pores. pores. <laughs> so yeah. very cleansing. Yeah, because you drink. Like, the implication is you drink it, right? Because it's like. Because it makes a glug glug sound, like the mana potions, you know? So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that means it does have to come out of you. It's a biological process, yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, so I I gave it a try, and and I really enjoyed it, actually, which was surprising because the the, uh, Diablo 3 was good, but uh, had a bit—I don't know how to to phrase it, but, like, it had a bit more of a— a high fantasy vibe to it in terms of— Diablo 3 felt like it had weird—it was whimsy. 
Yeah, it, it, even yeah. though it has like dark themes and like a lot of like gross zombies and stuff, it felt like when I showed up, like I showed up, I punched a zombie, and somebody coming like, "Wow, you're the coolest, yeah. biggest, bravest person I've ever seen." Yeah, and so just totally, everything is about me. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. The the third one was a uh, yeah, a bit too of that like. Just, I don't know. You're the chosen one. You're definitely going to win sort of vibe. Versus this one, they did a really good job on nailing that kind of just the grim and dark kind of medieval tone. And, and the lighting is great. And the storytelling is actually really fun. They have all sorts of cutscenes and um, just very enjoyable. But uh, one thing I thought was interesting that I wanted to touch on briefly was that um, when it comes to the combat, they have a problem, which a lot of games have and try to figure out exactly what to do with, which is that if you're creating a game like this with a variety of classes you can play as, right? Basically, players are opting into a play style at the start of the game, right? You're saying, I'm going to go with this particular kind of play. I don't know exactly what it is, but say it's a necromancer versus a barbarian, right? The idea yeah, is you're like, I'm just going to be romancing necks the whole time. Just smooch, whole thing. smooching those necks mm -hmm. or barbing, you know? Yep. Shaving heads, one of the two. And yep. they're kind of really very different things at the end of the day. So as designers, the whole goal is to kind of understand what it would mean to, for someone to look at those and say, I want to play that, right? And then how to like make that into a fun play style, given that it cannot be like the other ones, right? See, that's the whole point. It's supposed right, to be make them unique experience. practically equivalent in terms of like efficacy, the quality and efficacy and type of ex overarching uh, power building experience, I guess, yes. right? While yeah. being completely different in moment to moment experience. Yes. And this is very tricky. And the reason why typically if you see class-based gameplay, um, there's only a couple because you start having a lot of overlap issues, right? It's very challenging to basically really strictly define them as separate when the reality is they are constrained by the ability of the game in terms of its design to make fun. Like you can't have a class, for example, that doesn't kill things in Diablo. It doesn't make any sense because that's what the game is, right? This is why in so many video games, you just don't really see like a bard class, yes. right? Because like in D&D, &D, there's enough uh, imagination and cheesing of things by yes. the DM that a bard can come in and sort of like not really be focused on combat or whatever, but they can just kind of like charisma and music their way through situations, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a very complicated thing and actually looks it's nothing like class, what everybody else does. Yeah. You know? Yeah, especially yeah. support class. Yeah, so yeah. so the challenge then is is very big. And I think while they, they nail the feel of certain individual classes, so, you know, if you play as a necromancer, yeah, you're exploding corpses all the time, raising the dead, cursing people, shooting bone spears out. It's it's exactly what the fantasy of being a necromancer would be. Uh, I think the challenge is that in classes that are a little more down to earth, like a barbarian, essentially the melee classes, uh, tend to, I think, as always, suffer from, essentially, it, it comes down to a lack of imagination, I think, is the best way. Yeah, it's like, it. how many different angles and speeds can you swing a stick at something? Exactly. Call, and call those different abilities. Exactly. <laughs> and so yeah. um, I'm curious to see how that how it plays out and how they kind of rebalance things heading into the launch. But I know that that was both my experience. I played, a, I played it on the Rogue and I played a, a Necromancer a bit. And actually, the Rogue's very well done. Two, uh, it's got a lot of variety in terms of how you can approach situations. You can put down traps, you can be stealthy or just sort of, you know, come in daggers flying all over the place. Um, but from what I understand about both the druid and the barbarian, if you kind of stick to the melee-focused elements of the druid, then it's kind of samey. You know, you just kind of walk around, just smash everything as a bear, basically, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Bear-barian. A barbarian. So I think yep. it's, one of those, it's one of those wrinkly ones where it's like, it, it would be very fun to play as a barbarian conceptually, but when you could, when you get down to it in terms of 
what that means in the soup that you have made, you know, uh, for yourself, the big design. How do you make that particular experience actually fun without like adding some kind of bigger, I don't know, mystical element to it or something, you know? Um, yeah. Well, and, and there's, there's a challenge of like the game is one thing. Yeah. Right. The game is one thing and there, and there's technically like one way to beat the game, which is kill everything. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. And so, so, but what it means to kill everything can be kind of different. So like, for example, if you have, uh, if the game is delivering large numbers of kind of weak enemies, mm-hmm. then having a character that can just hit lots of things at once for kind of like smallish amounts of damage, that character is going to be very successful, mm-hmm. right? If you've got a different character who hits one thing really hard and maybe like mm-hmm. the longer they hit that one thing, the more damage they do, right? They can, can like funnel damage in, then that character is going to really suck against Swords, these large basically. numbers of enemies. But on the flip side, if the game is all about like defeating big bosses that take a while to beat, right? Well, then now, now the advantages are flipped. But in a game like Diablo, you want to have variety. Like you want to have there are big situations bosses. where you have a boss fight, situations where you have large numbers of enemies. So how do you how do you make the classes be distinctly different from each other in terms of the way that they play and what they're good at and bad at, but still make it so that it the player feels like they are doing well and can succeed and overcome all these challenges, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you, so you can't just have a class that's like really bad at one thing and really good at another thing. It they all have to be flattened like, out a bit. Yeah, yeah. they all have yeah. to be like slightly worse at some things and slightly better at other things. And then at that point, the only difference you do is just like flavor, right? Yeah. Like you're saying like a being flavor. a bear and being a barbarian is you just run in and just kind of whack things. Mm-hmm. But it feels different because one of them has a big axe and yeah. the other one is a bear, right? Yeah. And so there's lots of like differences in animations and sounds and particles. And it does feel different, but it's kind of the same. I do always say I do love how they did the druid shapeshifting in this one, which I'll just touch on very briefly, just from like an FX standpoint and an art mm-hmm. standpoint, which is that when you use a bear skill, so you have maul, and you use that skill, if you're not already a bear, then basically like a it's almost like a bear flesh suit sort of like, like grows onto the character. <laughs> and then after a brief amount of time, if you haven't used a bear skill for a while, then it like melts off. It's the coolest shit. I'm like, I don't know well, who did that, but that sounds dope, give yeah. that person a raise. That's fucking excellent. That's really good. Really good stuff. So that's that's weirdly, I find that to be a more compelling thing. Yeah. Than like, like you just are you know a bear or not. Yeah. yeah. Or like the thing that always bothered me in something like the Avengers where you've got the Hulk is that he just becomes enormous and extremely dense and heavy, but like, where is that coming from? Like, where is yeah, all yeah. that extra matter coming from? Mm-hmm. You know. But if if you've got this uh, this druid and kind of like a like bear flesh suit, kind of like forms comes out, come forms up out of the ground, yeah. it's like okay, like maybe there's like material in the ground that it's like it's comprised cool. of or whatever. Yeah, that's very fun. But okay, so I mean, are, do you feel like you're gonna pick it up when it launches? Yeah, I, I definitely will pick it up when it launches. I think overall it does it does things very well, so I think it'll be it'll be fun to play as. I do think it's one of those ones that your your mileage will vary depending on which class you start playing as. You know what yeah. I mean? Like take some time to pick, um, and uh, and because the experience is actually very different. In terms well, yeah, of how fun yeah, I think like Diablo three. Um, mm-hmm. have that same, yep. that same problem. And I think it's also, it's, it's a, it's designed as a single player game basically. Right. Because it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's online. You can play with multiple people, but it's not designed around the assumption that there's like a class distribution. So unlike True. yes, 
unlike all your uh, like team-based shooters that have each person mm-hmm. can choose one class or whatever, they have these like really different classes that are well designed to work with each other so you can go specialize right yeah so it can't be that and so and i think they kind of suffer from the idea that like they can't not have a barbarian class yeah because of like like crazy historical like they gotta have that in there and yeah and i think and it does create that problem because this is a a problem that i had in diablo 3 is i played a lot of it with my wife and she played the sorcerer class and I always like the melee classes because they're, they're brain dead simple. I can just get in there, just fight stuff and not think about it. Also, it also, to me, it kind of feels cooler to be just like a guy with a hammer. Going yeah, it's really satisfying. Like the Lord of evil, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a nice underdog feel. Yeah, it's, very, it's just very fun. But it was a case that as the game, like at the beginning, we were kind of equivalent. But as the game progressed, <laughs> the, the sorcerer has this like fucking cannon just like laser cannon <laughs> yeah right oh yeah it's like a ray of yeah it's just like arc- arcane magic or something yeah i don't know it's like the sun i don't know it's it's just like <laughs> it's so fucking powerful and it got to the point where she's like my wife's just like mowing down hordes before mm-hmm. i even like get there you know and then all of a sudden it's just like absolutely not fun anymore mm-hmm. right because it's just like, like teleports in front of you and you're like yeah all right what is this? You got mobility? You yeah. Got- and, I, and all I got is like, I got to get in there to do something. Right. <laughs> and it was basically because like those two classes, like if you're just playing those two in like regular game yeah. of Diablo three, right. Uh, they're, they're too asymmetrical in a way that doesn't actually work together. It's, it's like, it's like the opposite of a team based class or a class based mm-hmm. team shooter, right. Where the differences can actually make the team experience. Cause if I was just in there by myself as a barbarian, like, yeah, it's not as cool. Cause I'm not blasting the sun at things. Right. But whatever, I can just get in there. Get yeah, in there and do it by yourself. Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm curious to see how the sort of close range, long range uh, difference in Diablo 4 comes out, like when you're playing mm-hmm. with other people. Because, I, I mean, it's Diablo. It's the, I, I love the franchise. I'll, I'll be playing it the moment it comes out, my wife and I. Uh, and I got a few, yeah, the question of like, do I have to, do I need to be really careful ahead of time and choose a class based on what my wife wants to do also? I would say yes. So that we're like both, <laughs> and, and, and yeah. the, do I need to like be like both short or both long range? Is that basically the, the strategy, you know, to make that work? Yeah. I don't know, but probably. Yeah. I think it'd be wise. Yes. Yeah. Something I thought was uh, kind of an, an interesting trajectory that, because I always felt this was kind of strange playing like D&D or like Dragon Age, or like any kind of RPG that like you, you've got characters that do magic and then you've got characters that have a stick. And it just, mm-hmm. there's no, there's just no scenario that you could imagine where like somebody who just is strong can compete with somebody who can launch the, the power of a thousand suns, <laughs> right? And so one of the things that has happened kind of over the years in uh, in World of Warcraft and their kind of lore with their like warrior class, which has kind of historically had this problem of like, how do you, think how I do you compete against magic users? And they kind of established this interesting lore of like, the warriors actually kind of like work with these godlike beings that are kind of, they're kind of like Viking gods, like Odin and stuff. Mm. And, uh, and they bestow upon them sort of like power, like powers from time to time, or even like enchanted weapons. So like you can like summon this ax that fl- flies behind you and like whips around like a tornado mm. and you can like bring it into, you know, so there's, there's always kind like of like a Thor's basement. hammer situation, right? Where yeah, it's like, just chuck it. Yeah. 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 So it's like the warriors are, are not magical, but they kind of like have the backing 
of powerful magical beings, and then otherwise right. they're just strong and mad, which is that's cool. Well, and I think in a yeah, magic cool universe too, <laughs> like where magic is just a thing, it makes sense that you would differentiate where it's like you have people who control magic, which is now your sorcerers and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then people just who are magical, like there's people who are like infused with, yeah. Magic. So you can have mm-hmm. barbarians yeah. who are just magically strong. It's like when they're doing like a whirlwind attack, it's like creates a literal whirlwind because they're mm-hmm. really fucking strong or whatever, right? Yeah, um, and I think that's a good way to to take it, which, which actually Diablo has tried to do. I don't know. They've leaned into that quite yeah. a bit. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how much Diablo for, but um, was it a free yeah, uh, beta weekends? Like no, just, no. You basically you pre-purchase it. Oh, so if you pre-order so the like, game, I'm gonna buy it. Yeah, yeah. I admit I didn't. I didn't play it. I didn't pre. I I've played all the Diablo games, and I'm a general fan of many of the things that Blizzard has made. But I didn't pre-purchase Diablo four. Because I've decided to just stop pre-purchasing games, kind of period. Just mm. <laughs> after all the things that have happened, I did it only years. because yeah. I could play it. You know what I mean? So it was like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Pre- I pre-purchased it, but I, but but I also played it. Just play it. Pre- <laughs> <laughs> so when is the of like a actual purchase. launch? Do you know? I believe it's in June or July. It's summer sometime. Yeah. Okay, so it's yeah. not too far away. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll we'll check it out we'll when see. it uh, when it launches. Right, so I think we want to get into some questions Lego. this episode because we haven't done that in a while. Uh, so these questions come from podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, and the highest upvoted question for today comes from Gibbs, who says, do you consume any content from other game developers about the creation of their games? Ooh. Uh, we used to a lot. Um, like in the earlier days, we were kind of reading everything that we could. Um, mm-hmm. These days, I know I've, so I started programming. So I've started, I've now joined Seth to try to help do some game programming. So I've gone back to start actually consuming stuff about creating games, um, but really focused on like game maker tech, right? So more of a, yeah. more of a tech focus than like a game making focus. Um, but that's really all I'm doing these days. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. It's for me, it's, yeah, it's more about like looking at uh, communities like the, in over the game maker kitchen discord. Yeah. Um, and kind of like, it's not, it's not about like uh, watching somebody stream making their game or like reading somebody's, you know, dev blog, because mm-hmm. those things are, are not really for other game developers in a lot of cases. They're more like kind of like trying to build hype about the game or whatever. Um, and they're not really specifically meant to be useful for other developers. It's more just like it's the it's the developer kind of like just talking through some of the things that they're working on or, or whatever. Right. And we've been we've been at this for long enough that. Uh, that the kinds of problems that we have are often very hyper specific to what we're doing mm-hmm. and, and trying to like, if we're just kind of like passively watching what another developer is doing, the likelihood of them coming across something that is, that we are currently dealing with and also haven't solved, you know, yeah, the signal to noise ratio has gotten more challenging. Yeah. And I think it makes a lot of sense earlier when like most of the things you're dealing with, you haven't seen before. And so, so getting just lots of, it's like a fire hose, right? It's like getting all these different pieces of information from all these developers is quite useful because it's all knowledge that you can like throw into the bucket, right? Mm-hmm. At a certain point, like your bucket starts to fill up and, and it's harder <laughs> to find things that fit, you know? And you'll and, see uh, this in the gaps. In any industry and skill set, it's always the same, right? Which is there's tons of beginner content out there because mm-hmm. I think, Seth, to your point, like beginners all have the same collection of problems, more or less. It's right? a big audience, which is too. which is every problem, which is every problem. Which is how do you do <laughs> everything, right? But it's also the same kind of like knowledge yeah. set, and and because at the very beginning, there's only certain kinds of things you can solve, right? It's like your mm-hmm. 
your solution space is really limited until you become more of an expert in the in the material. But as you become an expert, the whole point of like getting all that expertise and then like going out in the world and doing something with it is to do something that other people aren't doing, right? And so you very quickly find yourself in a position where your problems aren't the same as other people's problems. And as soon as that's true, there just isn't content out there for you. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I've, I've switched mainly to almost like an abstracted level for uh, the kind of stuff that I read up and look into. So I I really like watching design videos on YouTube. So I, I follow Adam Millard, who's the game architect, and uh, you know Mark Brown from GMTK. They put out really good just kind of design essays on on how to do stuff um, or how like essentially asking a question like how does how does the meta game affect Atomic Heart in the case of one of the recent ones that I watched from Adam Miller, which is very interesting. And like, I think it starts giving you on the design side, I think those are really useful because it's similar to all these other problems we're talking about. But the reality is when you're working on a game, you're, the things that you're touching on the design side are, again, very specific to that particular game. Like if we were working on Diablo, for example, I'd be doing a lot of thinking about loot and um, sort of like item customization capabilities, stuff like that. But you wouldn't necessarily be thinking about, uh, you know, things maybe like uh, intense level design or puzzle design. You know what I mean? Like it's not really a piece of it. So it's kind of fun to, you know, every week I watch a few of those videos um, or whoever kind of puts them out to see, just kind of keep that general soup of design knowledge. Uh, yeah, but it's more I'm of like an analysis perspective then, right? It's yes. less, yeah, it's not, you're not looking at like what game devs are telling you that they're doing when their no. situation. You're looking at, yeah. at thoughtful, uh, like critique. And, critique almost. Yeah. yeah, discussion of the, which is, yeah, I think that's the kind of stuff that I've done too mostly um mm -hmm. uh, is just and i do this also for web dev stuff it's kind of yep. i do for for i guess yeah it's basically like the stuff that i get content from like from developers is always like very technical if i find something specific to what i'm doing um mm -hmm. or that's like pushing into a new because like in web dev everything's changing all the time so i'm trying to always trying to stay up to date with that um and game dev that at least feels less true, I think it's because so much tech is just like isolated in these game engine silos, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think at the beginning of a project, we did this with Crashlands, um, when you're still figuring out what your pipeline is and stuff, I did yeah. I did watch a lot of uh, videos on 2D art and animation for games and a bunch of these other things that I found via GDC content mainly. Um, read up a lot of stuff there that were more on that kind of, how are, how are some other people doing as well? Or, you know, how do yeah. these people make art for that game that looks really good? Yeah, for um, shared problems, though, right? Because that was where it's like... Or when you're choosing your problems, right? You have yeah, picked yeah. which yeah. problem you want to have yet. So that's like the, the one phase where it also makes a lot of sense. And then, yeah, the truth is once you once you really are, you know, if you're a year into a project that has all sorts of context on it, then, yeah, to your point, Adam, it's like your, your problems are extremely specific. <laughs> yeah, yeah usually, hard. like, I, yeah, I find that we just have to, like, like, even for web stuff, every once in a while, I'm just like, I guess I have to go like find an expert and hire them for a few hours to like help me figure yes. out how to solve this problem because like there this there is no findable solution on the fucking planet that I can no, just talk like, about this get yeah, yeah get a hold of and that doesn't mean nobody has solved it right it just means that because the thing that happens too is that the value proposition of sharing knowledge keeps going down as the audience yes. shrinks and which is also why there's so much content for for early new people right mm -hmm. or for really common problems um, and there's so little for their stuff because. The people who are running into those problems and are in a good place to talk about them uh, are like, what's the point of writing this up? <laughs> right? for the, other, yeah, the one other person. Only yeah, for, I have this problem. Yeah, yeah. nobody else will read it, right? And so I think – and so then you find yourself when you're in that space is like yeah, – so, so like places like the Game Maker Kitchen, as I've mentioned, which is a, which is a great Discord. Um, uh, like those are the kinds of places now that I find myself going to is like – 
GitHub issues for the people who are writing the software that I'm trying to figure out how to use and just like talking to the, those actual people, right? Or talking to other people who are just really knowledgeable about the thing and being like, hey, I'm dealing with this. Does anybody have any ideas? Mm -hmm. Because there just isn't going to be pre-existing content I can consume. Yeah, and, and my understanding of like the proper way, if you have a if you have a really specific problem, is you make a Stack Overflow question asking it, and then after you have uh, solved it, you just post an update and say, "Oh, I solved it," but don't actually <laughs> say what you yep. did. And that way, seven years later, finally somebody else will have the same problem as you, and they'll be like, "What in the fuck? What? What am I supposed to yeah. do?" Mm -hmm. But you're but you're gone. You're out of there. You're mo you've moved on. Yeah, but we gotta keep you're jobs. That's how we keep jobs around. You know what I mean? Some. Let someone rediscover that, you know, that's mm -hmm. got to be, got to yeah. pad the software And, and also like, you don't want to deprive them of the satisfaction of oh, no. after three weeks of banging their head against a wall, finally giving up, you know? Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right anyways, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and, and also as your problems get more hyper-specific, like I've had, I've had a shader problem that I've been dealing with and I just asked Chad GPT and it solved it for me. So that's... <laughs> You don't really need to follow other game developers. You just talk to your robot buddy. Yeah, and, actually, and, and, uh, and, I, and you're good to go. I want to avoid getting it into AI again because we just keep falling back into that trap. But I, on that note, I do want to say this: this past week, I was I was also digging into some shader stuff, and I was like, I just couldn't quite remember a bunch of things, and I had some questions. And I was like doing a, initially some googling, and I was like, oh, and I was like, you know, all these different posts come up, and I'm doing the process of evaluating them and skimming them and trying to figure out where the answers to my actual questions are, blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. And at some point I was like, let me just go poke chat GPT, you know? Let me just go ask my robot buddy. <laughs> it just gave me like perfectly good and specific exact answers to my questions um, in just yeah. in seconds. And robot so, buddies. yeah. Who, who knew who knew that Googling would be too much of a pain in the ass <laughs> yeah, right. to solve a problem, <laughs> you know? Turns out, turns out it is. Uh, interesting. So, all right, well, let's get on to the next question, which comes from Teal, who says, Greetings, Brothers Scotch, Old-time listener returning after long break here. Oh, welcome yeah. back. Welcome back. Uh, my question is thus. Have you ever dealt with burnout? Scotch sounds like an incredible place to work, and it sounds like you all are open enough with each other to notice and address the signs. But does it still crop up? Yeah. I think, yep. I yes. think after doing the same, well, not the same thing, but after working, you know, in the industry for 10 years, I think if you're not trying to figure out how to deal with that, then I don't know, maybe you got a better brain than I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> that's, uh, I think we've all been doing it with, it, especially since the pandemic. I think it kind of accelerated some stuff for us. But I know Adam, you in particular said kind of a couple of years, a year or two before that, yeah. you kind of started feeling some. Yeah, well, and there's creep. lots of. There's lots of sources of burnout, right? And so, like, so the one that I like really went through, I'm pretty sure, was more of an autistic burnout than it was like kind of work induced, you know, or you know, a combination. But I think it was like the autistic burnout's primary driver, which is really common in late diagnosed people my age. Um, is you're just so tired, <laughs> you know, from from just living in a world that wasn't designed for you um, that, but you don't know that you're even doing that, and so there's just this like. Decades long trajectory of just being like everything being hard. And at some point, it's just, you're just burned out now, you know? So mm -hmm. it took me a solid, well, that was also like that, but at that same time that it, that started to be a kind of like a real problem was then when pandemic hit and I'm exploring things about my brain more, discover I have ADHD, discover I have autism, right? All this stuff and start then actually managing those things and which then let me start to, you know, slowly climb out. And then I added antidepressants on top, which helped a whole bunch to kind of finish getting out of that hole, you know? 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was the main thing for me. But otherwise, the main way I've avoided it is by working in our own place and getting to kind of choose how I approach the work. Um, and then having a team, in particular Sam and Seth, um, be supportive of it's like because sometimes I just need to go do something that the studio doesn't need me to do, but mm-hmm. but I need to because otherwise I can't I can't work on the thing I'm supposed to be working on like it's driving me like I can't make my brain do it, uh, and that's exactly the scenario that over time pushes you into burnout right it's like doing things that you don't enjoy doing things that you don't want to do right. Uh, uh, or just doing what feels like the same thing, which I think then converts into those other categories. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so I've dealt with it, and that's kind of my technique for trying to avoid it. But I don't know if you guys have stuff to add. Yeah, yeah it's well, you go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, when I think when I was some thirty, how old am I? Thirty two, thirty three. You are thirty three. I think. Really? It's born eight and yeah. nine. Is that the what? Because yeah, <laughs> I'm 37. Yeah, You're going to be 34 this year. There yeah. we go. Okay, yeah. So um, when I was 28, <laughs> I went through a particularly intense period of this where the question was, this is right before, I think it was actually smack in the middle of level head, start of level head time, um, where I just kept having this question just sort of get very loud in my head, which was, is this all? <laughs> which might sound weird, you know? To people listening, if you if if you want to do indie games or you know want to start your own studio and stuff, and it's like, what what the fuck do you mean? Um, well, it's the hedonic treadmill kind of, yes. you know, baked into your brain. Yeah, you can only make so many sprites before you're like, yeah, I get it. You and know, like I've made three hundred <laughs> of these. Do I have to make three hundred more? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You and to- then three thousand more after that. Yeah. And another thousand. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I worked with a with a life coach guy who is a now works for the FBI. And um, he, it was just a, it was very useful kind of a six, 12 months of chatting with this guy every two weeks or so, uh, basically trying to address that, that question, which actually at the end of the day, I ended up finding to be just kind of a dumb question. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, what is it? You get what you ask or whatever, like ask a better question essentially becomes right. the problem. Because um, yeah, the, the answer to, is this all there is? Is just like, yes. Well, yeah. But yeah. like that's kind of irrelevant. So what yeah. are you doing? Um, yeah, or even even to me, questions. I, I was thinking a lot about the question, of like people reaching their potential. You know, mm-hmm. it's like have mm-hmm. I have I actually reached my potential? And the answer is always yes, always. Mm-hmm. Like what you have done so far is what you were capable of doing because you're always making the best decisions you can make given the time and resources and knowledge and everything else that you have, right? And you might be able to do better, you know, going forward if you tweak some things or learn more, do things differently. But up to this point, what you've done is is fine. Like that's what you're, that's what you've been it's capable baked. of doing. Yeah. And there's no reason to like moralize about it. Yep. Right? Yeah. Well, just, that, well, so that kind of became part of it came from the game jam we did at the start of Levelhead, which I've talked about on the podcast before, but basically where I, you know, I made some really shitty jungle tiles that just didn't work and I was crying about it. Um, and then Seth was like, just chill out and learn how to draw leaves this weekend. And I was like, what? I can be curious about things. And that's actually what it solved it for me, really enough, was it's a re- stepping back a little bit and trying to re-inhabit that, that student mindset about, one, you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what appears to be in the case of like, again, once you've made a billion sprites, how could you be excited to make the next billion sprites? And it's like, well, because because each one is a very specific different thing. And yeah. that's actually and if, very yeah. exciting. Yeah, if you're focused on production, 
Right. Like just yes. thinking about producing, like that's what from a work standpoint, the fuck out. that's what burns you out because yeah. you, that's basically pretending like you're a machine, right? And yeah. And you got to allow not. yourself to be a, a curious person. I think that was what did it for me a bit. Well, and then I, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think, I think just to kind of like extrapolate that idea to me, like all these things have one thing in common, which is essentially uh, taking on the expectations of other people mm-hmm. and building your time and your life and your obligations around that, right? Around meeting um, without necessarily like stepping back and and think. So, like when it comes to like the autistic burnout, so much of that is is the world is set up in a certain way, and you're just like, well, I gotta meet, I gotta, deal. I gotta do it. Like mm-hmm. I gotta do what everybody's saying that I need to do, but that's not necessarily good for you. Yeah, uh, it's good for me like socially, but not as not an all the time in yeah, all scenarios, but, you know. Yeah. And then the same thing with like I've had this with um. We, we had a time where as we were ramping up our, our QA team, we were getting 30 oh, yeah. to 40 tickets a week. And I was like, I got to, I got to resolve these tickets. I got to resolve these tickets. Right. Because of course, if I don't, then they just, it's just more then, coming. then the next week there's 80 and the next week there's a hundred and like, and pretty soon, how do you, how do you do it? And, and it was literally like a year that I just did. Like I just mm-hmm. did resolve 30 to 40 tickets a week. Um, and this was like early in Crash Ends 2 production. And so the game was very much in flux and lots of things were like partially implemented and, and all that stuff. And and I was getting burned out from that. Mm-hmm. But I did that for quite a while, you know, before stepping back and going like, how is this good? Like, <laughs> how do I, how do we change things so that we still get QA testing, we still get everything that we need, but that I can actually breathe, uh, move, move, <laughs> like breathe and move forward with other things and not feel this sort of overwhelming pressure to do these things that are kind of being put onto my plate. Right. And we just made a few adjustments to our QA process and, and, uh, the, the rate of bugs coming in dropped by like 90%. The quality, and, uh, went the up quality of the reports went up dramatically and we got exactly what we needed. Right. But, um, I think it's, it's very easy to just like put yourself into a position where you see things that other people are expecting of you or Mm -hmm. other people are putting things onto your plate. It's, it's non-confrontational and easy to just assume that that's fine and just do it. Yeah. Right. But, but if you do that enough, then there's nothing left of yourself, right? You're just like, you're just doing what everybody else is saying you need to do. And then you just kind of hollow out and that's that burnout feeling. Yeah. There's an additional nuance here, which is, it's not just what other people like you doing what other people want. Because that also has been baked into your own brain, right? So that you're doing what you think you should be doing, right? But not even yeah. necessarily what you think other people think you should be doing, right? Um, That's true. And yeah, it's 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 assumed expectations or assumed yeah. priorities, kind of top to bottom. Yeah, and whether and whether like that pressure is coming from you thinking somebody else thinks you should, mm-hmm. or whether it's coming from you thinking you should, both of those are going to have come at some point from external Just pattern context, right? yeah, external yeah. context. And no matter who you are, everybody, everybody's just unique in their person and their circumstance. So no matter who you are, those shoulds that have not been evaluated are basically wrong for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be something 
you want to you want to invest investigate those shits like in like in Seth's case, it's like oh well, we have a QA team. Part of my job is to make sure the, the game is fine, so I should be resolved. Like I don't think Seth was Seth. Were you thinking of it as like the QA team expects me to resolve these, or was it more of like a self driven like I should be resolving these because like they found bugs. I mean, because they found bugs. Well, it's, my job yeah. is to fix them, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of it's a it's a holistic. Thing. It's like, yeah. you know, as a, as a studio, we decided, hey, we want to hire these people because they're good at finding bugs and they're good at testing and stuff, right? We're, we're paying for their services. Mm-hmm. They're giving us what we asked for. It would be insane for me to just throw what throw it away. Like, mm-hmm. they sent me a bug report that I asked them to give. Right? Yeah, it's sort of a sunk <laughs> cost. So yeah, and so it's kind of like we all collectively said, like, this is what we wanted. And the end result was 40-ish bug reports a week, right? Mm-hmm. And, and for me to then just... If, if like right out of the gate, if I was like, I'm not going to fix any of these books, right? <laughs> then it would have been wild, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so there is that kind of like, sometimes you do have to hit that point of of getting burned out by something to realize like how much of a problem it is, you know? Because there actually was a time where like I was a, kind of able to like manage that. Well, like this, you know? this is where the context comes in, right? It's like the reality is usually you have to try doing stuff. You just have to be doing stuff in a particular way for a while until you can until you've been doing it long enough that you can see what the uh, maybe the negative patterns are that are associated with it, right? Like it's not it's not really easy. And that's one thing I, I think except to your point. Like you'll see this in either organizations or teams, but I think one of the weird things is if there's not a lot of team trust, then you can have people just from the get go, like in that case of with you, like just saying, I'm not fixing these tickets. And it's like it's not quite the time yet to pre it's not necessarily the case to just guess that you're going to be burned out by this situation yeah. without yet participating in it in like give it us give it a week or two like let's kind of figure out kind of how this works we know some stuff will happen but i think a lot of that comes from if you don't have team trust where you do, can't put the brakes on you know all of us i think at some point have, have basically pulled a break and said hey this isn't working for me. We do this all the time, actually. This isn't working for me. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I'm not having a good time. Yeah. Um, yeah. The trick is always yeah, not pr- waiting probably too every, long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably every, every like one to two months, at least one of us comes in and we're like, I'm having a bad time yeah. <laughs> with something. Right. And it's, and the thing is like, just because it has nothing to do with like, it has nothing to do with hours or whatever. Cause like you can, you can do a, a, a game jam work 48 hours straight through the weekend mm-hmm. and just be hyped as fuck mm-hmm. and just have the best time and come into the next week just cruising, right? So like the fact that you spent 48 hours straight on something doesn't mean that you're going to get burned out. Yes. It's it's what those 48 hours are made of mm-hmm. and how those 48 hours fit into the context of something else, right? Yeah. Like um and, and in the case of something like the QA stuff, it's like okay, well if if a huge number of tickets come in in a week, you don't necessarily know that that's going to keep happening. Yep. Right. Exactly. Like, yep. It may be like, okay, well, you know, this is this is great. Like we got all these bugs coming in, right? And then you fix them all, and it's like, cool. Moving on to some game features, right? And then the next week, forty more tickets coming. <laughs> yeah. In. Oh no, right? And then you start to see the patterns, and then if you, you know, if if every week you're dealing with forty tickets, uh, then yeah, then then after a while, you're you, like, you get burned out, and you and you have to be kind of in touch with with what your uh, emotional state is. And, you know, there's always that, that, that kind of sign of like, if you find yourself not excited mm-hmm. about getting in there and like working on your stuff, then to me, that's just, that just, that is the sign of, of burnout because you're emotionally drained. Mm-hmm. Right. And you need to kind of structurally change something. And you got to stay ahead of it because. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. yeah. With like, depending on the, the type of burnout and in your context, it, cause I know, I know it's, it's more of the, at least therapists for adult autistic people 
typically say that autistic burnout takes years to recover from, like fully, right? But it's also decades in the making, right? So like, yeah. so it's what it, but, it's your whole life. Yeah, it's right? your whole life. But burnout in general is is like that because it it impacts your your mood so much, and it like it's creating this like background of stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. and all these things change literally change your brain chemistry over time, right? And so when you're trying to resolve that, then that means you have to like slowly get your brain chemistry process back, right? It's a it's a process and it's slow, yeah. and the only way to to make that part not bad is just to avoid burnout in the first place, which is, of course, way easier said than done. But the the key part of it is staying ahead of it, and mm-hmm. and that's the other part for me. Like a, a lot of why I've been able to stay ahead of it for work is because I have zero tolerance for doing stuff that I don't like to do, like just none, and and I just refuse to. I just I just won't. And I, I have, of course, the luxury of being able to do that in the context in which we're working because like if there's something that it needs to get done I'll I'll do it but I'll find a way to do it that I can still actually enjoy, enjoy. right yep if that takes yep. 10 times longer than it would have that's worth it cuz I'm not going to get burnt out right yeah so if we said to Adam like hey we need you to we have like a just a huge pile of like files that are just full of like data that we need uh we need you to go ahead and like reorganize it and sort it mm-hmm. into some stuff, right? If you it would will take, not do that manually. No, if it yeah. would take an hour to do manually, <laughs> but a day for me to like write all the scripts and stuff to do it automatically, like I'm doing it, I'm taking a day. That's how long it's going to take because well, just do doing stuff. manual work like that for one hour will drive me so mad that mm-hmm. it'll take me the day to recover. Well, <laughs> so, and I think importantly, it's it's that like you your passion is for solving problems, not for doing a thing yeah right mm-hmm. so it's like because if you've solved a problem then you've gained a wisdom nugget yeah i've, I've wrinkled my brain you know if if all you've done is just copy pasted shit from like one row of a database or a spreadsheet to another mm-hmm. and you just do that like ten thousand times you haven't you haven't gained any new skills or learned mm-hmm. anything you yeah. just did a thing 10,000, maybe you got a little bit faster at hitting control c control v or something mm-hmm. uh but but that's not very stimulating, right? Yeah, no, I think so. there's there's one other aspect of this too, which I think is, has popped up for us on uh, on both Level Head and on Crashlands too, and also actually did happen with the original uh, development of Crashlands as well, which is that working on a the same project yeah. over a long a long project basically, I think just just massively increases the risk for all this stuff because you start part of the reason why you know we made the game changer and even the switch to the particular art pipeline that we do now and stuff is to largely increase the amount of flexibility we have downstream, like later in dev to continue either at pace or to continue doing like some weird shit here and there or whatever else that that day-to-day operation of making the game can be growing and interesting in a way that is a little different. But I think that has come at the cost of like, you know, on Seth's side, work on the Game Changer has been a completely different kind of work than previous projects that we've worked on where it's like it's largely about it's basically it's almost like engine work in in an interesting way this abstraction layer of making it possible to make say you know boomerangs and mortars and creatures and whatever else but not necessarily making them which is very different um and i think you know like other projects we've worked on with crashlands we made like at least four other games during crashlands development just these little like you know seizures of having to do something else for a day or two or a week. Yeah, we did a thing for, I think it was four weeks. We were just like every Monday, we just did a full-on game jam. Like yeah. we made a whole game start to finish every Monday. And we did that for a month uh, while 
like while in the midst of crashing, mm-hmm. like then literally the next day we just went right back into working on crashing. <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> that was, both the thing is, Lop Rocket and Roid Rage came yeah. out of that, right? Yeah. Yep. And the freeway mutant and some lesser was, ones. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. After a month, that was that was also. I mean, for me, that was too much. After a month, I was like, okay, I'm yeah, tired of that. From Jesus that. Christ. Like we did it. We did it to avoid burnout, but then like. Doing that every Monday, much. that was too much mm-hmm. and we burned out from that. You know? Yeah. So I think there's there's a lot of challenge just in, you know, maintaining your whole team's overall mental well-being during a very large scale project. Because it's just the kind of work that I think also that we're doing, it's just, it's been, it's been of a different caliber and a different kind than our previous games. And so I think it's, it's been heavier lifting uh, up I'll think about like, you know, start to finish, if it takes the same amount of time to make this game as it takes to get an entire college degree, right? Except yeah. like what you're doing in your college is you're going to different classes all the time, right? And you have a very specific- For Maybe four known, hours a day, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and you've got a very specific known end point. And part of being in college is also like you join clubs and you're like, you do all these different things, mm-hmm. right? A lot of variety. But, like if, but if your four-year college was same class, same professor, eight hours a day, mm-hmm. same project, no same summers, project. Yep. no summer breaks, whatever. It's right? a lot more and like then, grad school, I guess, as you describe it. Yeah, and, yeah. And then like, <laughs> like, yeah, oh, then God, at the end it. of the four years, you get your one grade. Uh, right. yeah, you're literally like, described grad school. So yeah. It so it's, it's grad school. Yeah. yeah. Right. It just, it takes forever. There's one thing you're working toward and, and for much of that time, you are years away Yes. From knowing whether or not whatever you're doing is actually like a good idea or or worth it, uh, yeah. It and it really takes a toll. Yeah, it it could fuck even you if up. you've got a very good supportive environment, even um, if you love what you're doing. Yeah, which yeah. I think has been the case for all of us. Like this, I questions too has been. It's been a hard project. I mean, it's been easy in some ways, but very very hard in most ways. I think from a just kind of like raw development standpoint, and uh, yeah, which we chose. You know, a big a big uh, part of our. Purpose philosophy is, you know, we feel like if we, if we always do what we already know how to do or what we have, what is easy, then, then most of the things that we do are, are boring and it's very much like the copy paste, right? It's like, it'll burn us out instantly. Yeah. We're not learning stuff. We're just doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And at that point we would then invent some new challenge. Like, okay, well, what would happen if we made an entire game every week for a year? Like what what kind of maintenance challenges would be like? Cause we would, we would reframe the challenge at that point. How fast can you Um, copy paste? You know what I mean? Yeah, and then we would burn ourselves out, you know, <laughs> that way. <laughs> and so it's the, the hedonic treadmill calls to you, oh, yes. right? Like you can't escape it. You're always going to like expand to the point where you can't handle it anymore, and then you've got to kind of step back and restructure. This yeah, is but also uh, it's, stay ahead of it though. Yeah, don't don't yeah. wait until it's starting to collapse and then do something. Right? It's just like try try to practice the moment you it starts to feel like. I don't really want to wake up from yeah. this, you know? Like, if, that's, if all you can articulate is, I'm not having that good of a time. Like that, yep. not even necessarily having a bad time. If you're just like, I'm just kind I'm not of not, good time. I'm not really yeah. enthusiastic. Yeah, you know, start investigating and see if you can restructure. Yes. And there's a reason why we do, the studio does a summer break and a winter break. The whole studio shuts down for those two long chunks of vacation time for everybody on top of other vacation days, right? And the point is that there's a common theme in, I think, both in video games, a lot of creative industries have this, but which is 
similar to, I think, what we just echoed, which is that it's the kind of people who have a hard time not kind of burning themselves out, basically. So, so yeah, we do a thing where it's like, no, the studio is done for this week. So just go, please, for the love of God, do something else for a while. You know what I mean? Like, just go... <laughs> Do something weird, do something random, just don't do whatever you were doing. And it always is the case, every single time that you're coming back from break, everyone's everyone's lighter, everyone's had some ideas about fun stuff. And there's a bit more of a playfulness back in the work, I think, in those periods immediately afterwards and there for a little bit, like a month or two, you know, it's great. Yeah. So yeah, take a vacations, get the fuck out of Dodge, touch grass, you know, all the stuff. Yeah, I know Touch that. grass. <laughs> Otherwise, whether you're an employee or an employer, the most important thing is to not just like accept, but just embrace the fact that you're, you're a person, you know, your employees are people, right? And it treating people like machines who are just supposed to have like a common input output thing. And that's, and that that should do it whatever is the most like technically efficient, um, ignoring the fact that they're a person, uh, is how you get both just worse outcomes, but a lot more burnout, um, mm-hmm. which is you know worse in the long term, um, because the idea of basically saying like okay, this this person needs to do this in the way that's best for them, even if it's a little slower or different or has a different non exact outcome that I would want or whatever, right? But the thing that'll allow it to get done without long-term harm that then makes other things even harder to do, right, is to just let people be people when they are approaching their problems. Yep. And let yourself be a person. Yeah. This applies to your own uh, way you view yourself. So uh, I think it's a good place to leave it for the week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.